What, do you want to hire an IP lawyer and sue him? No, I want to hire the Sopranos to beat the out of him with a hammer. We don't even have to do that. That's right. We can do that ourselves. I'm 6'5", 220, and there's two of me. From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Ford Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. With the Oscars looming and most of the national critics' top ten lists already published, we here at Aspect Radio are finally feeling a little more secure about the volume of quality films we've seen, so much so that we are ready to share with you our favorite films, scenes, and where we will start today on the show, our favorite performances of 2010. And to help us break that down, the year that was, we will hear voicemails from some special friends to the show. But we're joined now on the phone by our friends Matt Scalici and my brother Graham Flanagan. Welcome back to the show, both of you. Thank you. All right, well, guys, for this list, we will mix genders here with our top fives. So it could be all men or it could be all women. Hopefully, we've all seen enough good work from both sexes to merit placement on our list. So, Corey, why don't you kick things off with your number five performance of 2010? Man, this is this is a bloodbath. My my tearing down all of my favorite performances to these this top five. So, don't judge me too much. Uh, but I'm going to start uh, number five, a supporting performance uh, from a film I have a feeling will be talked about much uh, in the coming segments. Uh, John Hawks in, in Different Granics Film Adventures Bone. Uh, Hawks plays the uncle to the main character, uh, Reed Dowley, played by Jennifer Lawrence, a fearsome, near do well criminal sort. And, and John Hawks, you may recognize him from shows such as Deadwood or Miranda July's indie film, uh, Me and You and Everyone We Knew. And, and his character, Teardrop, here is so out of character for an actor usually known for playing. Uh, kind of quieter types, or at least not overtly threatening types, as he does here. It's, it's a really tremendous performance. It really is. I've heard people say that he gives one of the scariest performances of the year, and I totally agree. And I like John Hawke's work. He's in a lot of really good small character stuff leading up to this, so it's really nice to kind of see him get a chance to shine in a, a little more of a subdued, but I would still call it kind of a showy role if Winter's Bone has a showy role, then that's probably it. Yeah. Him and uh, the supporting actress we may or may not be hearing about later. So, uh, Matt, let's go to you. You're number five. John Hawks is my number five, too, Corey. Real time. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm a big, I, I came into it kind of a big fan of John Hawks. I'm, a, I'm kind of a, uh, on this show at least, uh, I'm a noted champion of Deadwood, and uh, John Hawks was one of the more underrated performances on that show. Like Dad, you guys said, he's, you know, I, I kind of see John Hawks a little bit. He, he kind of reminds me of some of the actors that were floating around in the 70s, the Lions movies that you see, which is that he never really, he's not built to be a leading man at all, but he's got a lot of versatility, and I, I can see him doing, you know, popping up here and there in kind of very different roles in the next few years, just from the respect he's getting from this, but I, you know, he's just one of those guys that you can kind of, he can take a pull off kind of the sweet, nice guy, vulnerable, which is what he was on Deadwood and East Mountain Town, but this is, you know, like you said here, Corey, kind of darker, more threatening role. Graham, you're top, you're number five. Number five for me, one of the best performances of the year, he came early in 2010, Rob Corddry and Hot Tub Time Machine. I think it might have been um, one of the best, if not the best, community performances of the year. I think he's a force of nature in this movie. Uh, and I think that, honestly, he, he uh, surpassed the work done by Zach Galifianakis the year before in The Hangover. I think this is one of the funniest kind of broad community performances. 
mentions at the end of this list. If anybody has them, they can share them. And at the very top of my honorable mentions is Rob Cordry from Hot Tub Time Machine. I love it. Like you said, he is definitely a force of nature, one of the better comedic performances I've seen in terms of a scene-stealing comedic performance. He dominates the movie when he's in it, and I would even argue that it's a stronger scene-stealing supporting role in a mainstream comedy film than Zach Galifianakis in The Hangover, which people love so much. Definitely, definitely check out Rob Corddry and Hot Tub Time Machine. My number five is Jeffrey Rush from The King's Speech, and this may be a little too low for the list, to be honest with you, because it is easily one of the best performances of the year. Right there with Colin Firth, it's really a toss-up for who's better in that movie, but it doesn't really matter. I think that they're equals in it, and if I had to pick one from that movie, I would go with Rush. I just completely believe in what he's doing, the, the way that he can sort of cut the king of his country down to size and look at him as a man and treat him like his equal when he is in his doctor's office and really kind of cut down to his bone and figure out where this stammer really came from. It really humanizes the king and it humanizes the film as well, and that's a credit to Rush Firth and the director, Tom Hooper, the King's Speech, a fantastic film I'm sure we'll talk about a little later, but Jeffrey Rush, that's my number five. Corey, your number four. My number four, this might be also a little low, but another scene-stealing supporting performance from a very well-regarded movie, Christian Bale in The Fighter, whose portrayal as Dickie Edlund, the brother to uh, Mark Wahlberg's Mickey Ward, is the showy, charming, uh, very borderline over-the-top, but, but also just really nicely calculated in the way that Christian Bale is best. best at. It's a great performance, uh, and it shows that Christian Bale has been wasting his time sort of languishing in these brooding mainstream action movie roles uh, that he's been sort of saddled with since the Batman movies took off. So that, I mean, this, this it really reminds viewers why he's regarded as such a, such a charming actor when he can actually be charming in a film. Matt, you're number four. I've got another performance from The Fighter, which is probably pretty obvious, but Melissa Leo is my number four. I think it's kind of an easy, you know, I, I just saw The Fighter last night, by the way, but I think everybody, all, or all the characters in this movie are a little bit broadly drawn, and I think you can hand them off to other actors that would have probably done an okay job with them and maybe even still gotten nominated for these roles, but I still... Regardless of that, I think Christian Bale, what Christian Bale and Melissa Leo did with those two characters, it's almost more impressive because they're kind of layup performances and they didn't phone it in and they really made an effort to give those characters some depth, even though I don't necessarily think the screenplay had everything it could have offered for those two actors. And uh, Melissa Leo was just so fun for me to watch in this movie. She's been I could have said I could have put Christian Bale here too, but Melissa Leo I think had the more fun scenes, especially with her husband George. Those were maybe the funniest scenes in any movie this year. I think that there's a fine line between not liking a performance and not liking the character. Yeah, I agree. And I think that she really embodies this figure, this real person that was Alice Ward, I guess is her name. Thank you. 
what you have to say later about this movie. Um, number four from True Grit, it's Haley Steinfeld as Maddie Ross, the heart and soul and lead performance of this Joel and Ethan Cohen film that is fantastic. Talk about a blockbuster of 2010. This is the first Cohen Brothers blockbuster, and it is totally anchored by Steinfeld's performance. I think that the reason most people are talking about this and liking it as much as they do is strictly because of Steinfeld's performance and the way that she's able to tangle and just dominate larger-than-life figures like Jeff Bridges as Rooster Cogburn and Matt Damon and Josh Brolin later in the movie. She completely handles herself going up against seasoned actors, veterans like that, and she comes out better, I think, by the end. But that's my number four, Haley Steinfeld. Corey, number three. My number three is Haley Steinfeld. All right. <laughs> uh, for, all, for everything you just said, it's really remarkable that, uh, that a young first-time actor not only can hold her own with the, with the great actors in True Grit, but also uh, deliver the Coen Brothers dialogue with such, I don't know, aplomb, I would say. She's really, really good. She's And she handles, uh, I don't know, what must have been a very demanding first role very, very well. So, I mean, we've, we've already talked about her a bit. So, uh, she's great. It's a great movie. Yeah, so Matt, you're number three. I don't know. just good. I heard the Cullen Brothers interviewed on uh, Fresh Air this week, and she Terry Gross asked them the question, what would you have done if you had not found her in the casting process? And they were basically just that we would have convinced ourselves that whoever we had was good enough. But that's scary to me because I, I really think, I, I mean, there's certainly nobody that age out there right now I can think of that would have been able to do the job. And look, maybe the Cohen Brothers deserve a lot of credit for directing this performance. And maybe Hannah Steinfeld, you know, wasn't 100% responsible for it. I'm sure that is the case. But, you know, it's kind of scary to think if this girl hadn't come along that to absolutely step up to the plate here, what this movie would have been, you know. It could have been a disaster for the Cohen Brothers instead of their most successful movie ever, commercially. Absolutely. So, Graham, you're number three. Number three is another gal, Lena Dunham, from Tiny Furniture. She also directed and wrote the movie where she plays a a girl that just graduated college at a liberal arts college in the Midwest, coming back to her kind of artsy, artsy mom uh, who lives in Tribeca. But she just drives this movie, and I think as, uh, and I'll talk about it later uh, again, but uh, I think that, she has one of the best Oscar clip scenes uh, for an actress. I don't know if you guys had a chance to check this out. Yeah, it's on demand. But uh, there's a scene where she just kind of loses it on her mom and sister and starts crying and yelling, um, uh, basically saying that no one pays attention to her. I have problems. And, uh, you know, you need to pay attention to me. It's just a, it's a great moment. And, um, you know, I know that she's probably not even nominated for an Oscar because, because not enough people have seen this movie. But... We are guaranteed to see a lot more of her uh, as an actress and as a filmmaker because she's got a, an HBO pilot that just got picked up by, um, and just produced by John Apatow. So highly recommend Tiny Furniture uh, and really look forward to seeing more of Lena Dunham. I still have yet to see Tiny Furniture. I really want to see it, though. I think it looks really strong. All I hear are good things. My number three, it's time to cheat with the list now. I have a tie, but it's from the same movie. And I'm sorry. I'm going to shoot with the next one, too, but not in, in, as extremely as I do here. But this film has been talked about all year. It's going to continue to rack up awards. And there are performances in the film that are 
more highly regarded than my favorites, and I'm not going to lie and pick just the same ones that everybody else is. These are the two that really affected me while I was watching them. I think that they're the strongest when they're on screen, stronger than anybody else, and they are from the social network, Army Hammer as the Winklevoss twins, and Rooney Mara as Erica. I think that their scenes in this movie are not only stolen, but are the best in the movie, and arguably, in Rooney Mara's case especially, are the driving force of the entire thing. They're what set Mark Zuckerberg off into creating Face Mash and eventually Facebook, him having to prove not only himself, but prove to her that he can make something legitimate of himself. He might be trying to impress these Harvard clubs, he tells her, but he's really trying to impress this girl. You got a 1600? Yes, I could sing in an acapella group, but I can't Does sing. Does that mean you actually got nothing I wrong? I could row crew or invent a $25 PC. Or you could get into a final club? Or I get into a final club. You know, from a woman's perspective, sometimes not singing in an acapella group is a good thing. This is serious. On the other hand, I do like guys who row crew. Well, I can't do that. I was kidding. And yes, I got nothing wrong in the test. Have you ever tried? I'm trying right now. To row crew? To get into a final club. To row crew, no. Are you like... Whatever, delusional? Maybe it's just sometimes you'd say two things at once, I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to be aiming at. But you've seen guys who row crew, right? No. Okay, well, they're bigger than me. They're world-class athletes. And a second ago, you said you like guys who row crew, so I assumed you had met one. I guess I just meant I like the idea of it, you know, the way a girl likes cowboys. And to me, her three scenes in one is just a single shot of just her teary eyes, I think, are extremely powerful. And Arnie Hammer, he gets some of Aaron Sorkin's best lines in this movie, and he delivers them with just an extremely rich gusto, and having gone back and watched it now on DVD, it's been confirmed, and I wish that these two would get more recognition than they're getting down the stretch, but we'll give it to them here. Army Hammer and Rooney Mara, absolutely brilliant performances in Social Network. So, Corey, you're number two. Well, you've already mentioned Jeffrey Rush from the King's Speech, but my number two uh, is Colin Firth from that same movie, uh, the sort of other half of that pairing who brings such a dignity and such a vulnerability and, and, and yet the strength to this this monarch uh, that he's playing who, who suffers this horrible speech uh, the stammer that uh, it's just such a wonderfully affecting performance on the heels of his uh, great performance last year in Tom Ford's A Single Man though I think this year he's destined uh, I think for the Academy Award um, I don't know it's just it's such a great performance and a really really good movie I'm sure that we're going to hear Matt, you're number two.
Bitácora espacial. Me he despertado del hipersueño en un planeta extraño. Estoy rodeado por criaturas extrañas y desconozco sus intenciones. ¿Quién anda ahí? ¿Amigo o enemigo? Uh, amigos, we're all amigos. Me debo de haber estrellado y se me ha borrado la memoria. ¿Han visto mi nave espacial? We gotta switch him back. I want to say that Jeremy Irons even got some consideration when he played Scar in The Lion King back in 1994 as well. But I think that I heard a story also that this guy was cast as Buzz based on the work he had done on these Spanish dubs from the previous two Toy Story films. And I heard, I heard a different story. I really dubbed like that in the Spanish dubs of the movie. That's what I read. Well, it is a great performance, and I'm sure we all like it a lot, Graham. I think you you found something very special in it. Um, but my number two, again, is kind of a cheat. I'm going to go ahead and pick one here, though, but they're from the same actor. And this is somebody who is considered, I guess at one time, sort of an Oscar darling, even though he hasn't won one. But he's considered probably one of Hollywood's most legitimate leading men, and he has yet to be acknowledged officially, I guess, by the Academy Awards. But it's Leonardo DiCaprio. And he's given two great performances this year. I would even argue his two greatest performances in Shutter Island and Inception. And both of them are very similar roles. You have him as this grieving guy who has lost somebody very close to him. And he's having to deal with it in his own ways, unconventional most of the time. And if I've got to pick one, I'm going to go with Inception as it being my favorite. And I went back and I watched Shutter Island, and he's, look, he's equally great. But I prefer the performance of Inception for reasons I don't think I'm going to be able to articulate right now. But I just think that it, it's kind of odd that he's being basically ignored this year when you've got a guy like Leonardo DiCaprio who's considered one of the best out there working right now, and he gives arguably his greatest performance of his career. Why is he not getting nominated? But we'll talk way more about Inception later in this show, trust me. But honestly, this is, to me, his best work today. And Ben, if you, got to pick, if you, know, if you wanted to combine the performances and you had to pick one Oscar clip for him, is it the scene by the lake from Shutter Island, or is it the hotel room scene in Inception? Neither, and we'll talk about which scene is Leo's Oscar 
this year, but if I had to pick between the two, gosh, I don't know if they feel like ties to me, but I would say the hotel scene leading up to what happens is, his, is the better of the two. So, Corey, let's get down to our number one. All right. My favorite performance of the year, and this is, you know, as hard as it was to boil down all my favorite performances to a top five, this is certain. Jerry O'Connell, Verona 3D. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs>
shaking his head right now across from me. I get a text from uh, my wife, Tess, who says to you, Graham, ugh, Graham, no. <laughs> so, uh, but I agree. Yeah, I think it is a great performance. I'm a fan of Joaquin Phoenix's, and if you can just kind of appreciate it for what they're doing, and if you can accept it as a performance, you can't deny that he's doing something interesting. So anyway, my number one of the year, a lot of people consider this a 2009 release. I do not. I consider it 2010 because it was not released in theaters until, in U.S. theaters until 2010. It is from the film A Prophet, a great film. It is Tahir Rahim in the lead role as Malik. It is a unbelievably understated and just beautifully played raw performance. I heard somebody compare it to... De Niro in The Godfather Part 2 is just a quiet character who has to just sort of observe large things as they're happening in front of them and learn from them to where he can kind of put himself in a position of power by the end of it. But it's, it's, it's just a beautiful film, and I, I, I just really took his performance. A lot of people will refer to Niels Arstrup's role as the Corsican Mafia King, I guess, who is behind bars as being the better performance of the film. But for me, it's like Tahir Rahim. I think it's fantastic. Great performance. Absolutely. But that rounds out our top five performances of 2010. So we'll take a quick break and we will be right back with our six through ten favorite films of 2010. I think that's how it's going to go. Yeah, I think so. So we'll be right back. This is Aspect Radio. I know a thing or two about a thing or two. And at, at, at Aspect Radio.
Radio. You heard a voicemail there from Chicago Tribune film critic Michael Phillips giving us his favorite film, performance, and scene from last year. And we'll hear that same lineup from a few other familiar voices. We're joined on the phone by Greg Flanagan and Matt Scalici. And before we get into our favorite films of 2010, uh, we forgot to do honorable mentions for performances in the last segment. So, Graham, just because I'm curious, why don't we start with you? What are your honorable mentions as for performances. Yeah, there, there are just so many great movies this year and great performances. It was tough to make this list. One that, that kind of sticks out to me is Ed Levine as the warden in Shutter Island. Really enjoyed his work, and I'm going to talk about that in detail a little bit later. So that's that's really one that, that's you know, very brief in that long film, but, but made a, a serious impact on the narrative overall and, and stuck with me because it was really frightening. It's a good thing. Your honorable mentions. I mentioned Jennifer Lawrence earlier. I definitely love the work Army Hammer did in the social network. That's why you guys already mentioned that, but he was the most entertaining part of that movie for me, for sure. I also really liked a guy named Timothy Spall who played Winston Churchill in The King's Speech. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it was a bit of a compression, but it seems to me I kind of sit forward in my chair a little bit whenever he was on it. It was just a really fun kind of comedic. And he has a great kind of uh, a nice little uh, scene that comes at an important moment in the movie where he kind of gives a little boost of confidence to the king before he goes out there to make his big radio address. And uh, it, was a, it was a fun, you know, it was a fun performance. He did a good job. And that, that guy's been showing up all over the place lately. Most people know him from the, from the Harry Potter movies, but he's, uh, he's definitely a good little British character actor. He did a good job there. My honorable mention is Corey from machine I mentioned Rob Corddry, fantastic. Ben Stiller and Greenberg, I think his, that might be his best performance to date. Great. Natalie Portman, Black Swan, of course. Will Forte in MacGruber. We're going to talk about Force of Nature. Outstanding. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks from Toy Story 3. I thought it was, it was his best performance in a while. Of course, Christian Bell, Melissa Leo, Amy Adams, all from The Fighter. Sam Rockwell in The Winning Season. I must admit it, Jeremy Renner from The Town. He is good, confirmed last week. And Numi Rapace from the first in the Millennium Trilogy, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I'm going to rise it up. It picks my, my honorable mentions list reads like everybody else who was ever in a movie this year. But just very quickly, uh, pretty much the entire ensemble cast of, of Shutter Island uh, who work really, really well together. Jesse Eisenberg, Army Hammer, Andrew Garfield, Rudy Mara from The Social Network, Chris Evans and his brief scene in Scott Pilgrim vs. The World is a ton of fun. Amy Adams, Melissa Leo, and The Fighter, as mentioned. Uh, I'm surprised this didn't come up uh, from Graham, James Franco, and 127 Hours. Uh, it was very good. Um, <laughs> well, okay. yeah, let's give another second when you're done, Corey. Okay. Uh, Jeff Bridges and Matt Damon in True Grit. Um, the, the cast of The Kids Are All Right. Many of you have been mentioned. Catherine Keener and Nicole Hollisoners, please get a really underrated movie. Emma Stone in Easy A, who gives one of the best comedic performances of the year. Uh, Carrie Mulligan in Never Let Me Go. Um, and then pairings from two uh, extremely devastating dramas, Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart in Rabbit Hole, and Ryan Gosling and Mr. Michelle Williams in Blue Valentine, along with the obvious picks that I missed, Jeffrey Rush, King's Speech, and Natalie Portman in Black Swan. Like I said, everybody working, I think, today. <laughs> and Graham, you know, before you say what you're going to say, isn't it really the costume designer of 127 Hours that you should be praising and the reason that you like that movie as much as you did? Uh, yeah, James Franco happens to sport a fish shirt for the entire 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good, really solid uh, little supporting performance in that movie that has a lot of supporting performances, but he really gets, a, gets an opportunity to make a mark in that movie. Well, let's move away from performances now and, and start our top 10 films of 2010. We keep things moving and then get ourselves a little more time for our top fives. We'll just round these off with a brief explanation as to why they're included. Uh, we're going to do six through ten of this. Yeah, and we're just going to jump into six through ten and just each of us is going to give our six through ten at once. Okay. So my six through ten, I'll start us off, I guess, is Noah Baumbach's Greenberg. I love Which order is this in? I'm sorry, you're going six. No, I'm going ten and three. Ten three. Six. Yes. Okay. No bomb box film, Greenberg, again, Ben Stiller, great performance, same, as, same with uh, Greta Gerwig, and Chris Christmas, I think he's fantastic, but it, it really was just kind of a nice portion of this strange little guy's life out in a widescreen Hollywood that we never really normally see, and it was fantastic. The Coen Brothers, True Grit, I never not. I've seen it one time, I responded to it well, but the more I thought about it, the better it was, and I can't wait to go back and see it. Number eight, Martin Scorsese at the top of his game once again in Shutter Island. Great to see him back in form after a few years of sort of being absent. My number seven, Toy Story 3, of course, is Pixar. It's going to be on the top ten. Can't help it. And my number six is Black Swan from Darren Aronofsky. Again, only seen it one time, but that was enough. Matt, why don't you uh, give us your ten through six? My number ten is Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant at Cemetery Junction. Really enjoyed it and hate that it didn't get a proper American release. But go check it out on DVD. It's a very sentimental but still very fun and emotionally true movie, kind of coming of age thing. Number nine was a fighter for me. Not a terribly important 
We're back and ready to give you our favorite individual scenes and sequences from 2010. You just heard a friend of the show and co-host of the great Chicago-based film podcast, Film Spotting, Adam Kempinar, in pure film spotting fashion, giving us his top five scenes of 2010, as well as his favorite movie and performance. And now, why don't you start us off with your favorite scene of the year, starting with number five. Okay, my, you want me to just go ahead and order? Let's just go scene by scene, I guess. Okay, yeah, yeah. well, my number five is from Toy Story 3, uh, but it's a different scene than we just heard about. Uh, I went with Lasso's backstory scene. It kind of points out the great thing about Toy Story 3 as a sequel, which is that so often, especially in family-oriented sequels, I think you see the movie try to mirror something that worked in one of the earlier films, usually from the first film, kind of, kind of pick out a few moments and call back to that original movie with those moments. And Toy Story 3 really didn't do that. There weren't a lot of references to the original movie or to the second movie, and there were a lot of completely original things that almost didn't even fit the tone of the first movie. And lots of backstories to give an example of that to me, just kind of using that super dark narration from the, from the head clown doll and, and you know, just, just kind of how emotional and how dark a scene that really is. It's not too scary or that's the point where you worry about a little kid seeing it, but it, but it really, really does kind of highlight the dark origins of that character and explain why he is the way he is. And it, it, it just really, uh, it's a really impressive scene for, for an animated kid-driven movie. Uh, and it's just another example, uh, to, me, to me, it's kind of the most effective example of what Toy Story 3 does different that makes it a truly great film, even though it has the number three after it, and it's an animated movie made for kids. Lotso wouldn't give up. It took forever, but we finally made it back to Daisy's. Then, it was too late. Something changed that day inside Lotso. Something snapped. She replaced us. Come on. No, she only replaced you. She replaced all of us, didn't she? She don't love you no more. Now, come on! Corey, why don't you go ahead and give us your number five, and we'll try and get Graham back on the line. Right. My number five was mentioned, I think, by, by Adam Kempenhardt in his voicemail. It's the opening scene to David Fetcher's film, The Social Network. I guess it's like seven minutes long, a seven-minute-long conversation between uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character, Mark Zuckerberg, and Rudy Mara's character, Erica Albright, uh, in which they, they sort of do these, these uh, verbal gymnastics uh, to get uh, so that leads into, I guess, her breaking up with him, which is, ends up being the driving force of that movie. Um, but it really sets a tone for the movie, both in its sort of dark cinematography uh, in the bar and also uh, the very, very Aaron Sorkin dialogue that, uh, that follows, uh, or, or that, that permeates that scene, and, and really the, the two performers do that so well, Heisenberg and, and Mara, I guess it's a virtue of the reported 99 takes they were required to do uh, for that scene, but uh, they they own it. They really, really do. So yeah, uh, it really, like I said, 
my name is Shaolin. Shaolin. <laughs> Older <laughs> college. Yeah.
That's me. That's you. Drops of water. And you're on top of the mountain. A success. But one day you start sliding down the mountain and you think, wait a minute. I'm a mountaintop water drop. I don't belong in this valley, this river, this low dark ocean with all these drops of water. And you feel confused. Then one day it gets hot. And you slowly evaporate into air, way up, higher than any mountaintop, all the way to the heavens. Then you understand that it was at your lowest that you were closest to God. Because life's a journey that goes round and round, and the end is closest to the beginning. So if it's change you need, relish the journey. Be a drop of running water. Obey those invisible pulls in your soul. Gravity, evaporation, love, creativity. It's in the darkest moments. It's when the cracks allow the inner light to come out. Spotlights. Don't let you see the inner light. Number two is also from Inception, and we're going back to our performance talk when we were kind of deciding what was Leonardo DiCaprio's Oscar scene between it and Shutter Island. And I think that those are two great scenes that you single out, obviously. Matt, my favorite scene in this film and my favorite scene of Leonardo DiCaprio's and Marianne Cotillard is what I'll call Cobblet's Malco. And it's toward the end of the movie, and you just have this really, really poignant and just sad and heartfelt moment between these two, this uh, man and wife while they're in limbo, I guess. And it's finally time for him to, like I said, let go this thing that has been grating at his brain for so many years now. It's just something, his flaw, and something that has just overwhelmed him for years and has prevented him from, I guess, finally seeking and finding his reality. And before he finally reaches that, he has to let it go. And you have this conversation between the two of them that repeats a lot of the themes that we hear throughout the movie where they talk about growing old together and we get these cutaways back to their limbo. And that's a credit to Nolan too, but we hear Leo kind of doing a voiceover talking about how they have grown old together already and it's just a beautiful scene and well done by Leo and Cotillard, so that is my number two and it gets better every time. Number two for me is, uh, is the King's Speech in the King's Speech. I'm going to share a fellow and sort of uh, compare the King's Speech to a sports movie and I guess using that metaphor that the final speech at the end is like the big game or the big fight at the end of, of the fighter or something say it's, it's almost as thrilling to see Colin Fritz monarch finally deliver on his promise as a ruler by addressing his people at, at this uh, trying time at the, at the eve of World War II. And the way that film is shot, or the, the scene is shot with sort of Jeffrey Rush uh, composing in a way the speech and kind of ways to all the supporting characters uh, in wherever they may be, including uh, his mother, the king's mother, and uh, the king's brother, who recently abdicated the throne in some tropical location where he's just kind of hanging out. It's, it's tremendously affecting. It's a really, really good scene. I totally agree. It's beautiful, and the music suits it beautifully, and the photography throughout that is unbelievable. So I totally agree. So, Matt, your number one scene of the year. around 
Banks are closed, mobs panic. It's going to be the end of the world, Bill. Story 3 is really good. Um, there are probably 
and the city conference picked up a half-finished model airplane that Lionel's son had started earlier. It's as if while working on this plane, something inside him from his subconscious childhood awoken up and allows him to open up and North talk to Lionel about some of the problems he had as a child. Or he describes some of the terrible things that he went through when he was younger, which more than likely contributed to the fact that he has a stammer as an adult. What's more touching is that Burbie has resulted to singing what he wants to say because he doesn't stutter when he sings. So most of these shocking revelations are revealed to the tune of Swanee River. The scene is so touching and it's a turning point in the film and it's just so well executed in all aspects, whether it be directing, acting, or score. My number one film of the year is The King's Speech. The King's Speech could have easily become a very formulaic, melodramatic, feel-good movie like so many that we've seen, but it didn't. It really goes its own way. It doesn't rely on twists or turns to keep your attention. It's emotional. It's touching. But it's extremely well done. It takes its time, and the pace is spot on. Tom Hooper is young, and he's very talented. I can't see what else he's going to direct in the future. He's got some of the best acting of the year. What I thought was brilliant were the different shots of the microphone. He had different views of Colin Firth through a microphone, around, above, under a microphone. And he's looking at it throughout the film as if it's his mortal enemy. It's brilliantly done. That guy can react with his face. The cinematography is impressive. It's artistic, yet not pretentious. It doesn't pull you from the film. The score by Alexander Desplat is beautiful as well. Speaking of Alexander Desplat, what a year he's had with compositions for The Ghost Rider, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and The King's Speech, right? Appreciate you guys having me on. Love the show. Good luck this year. And we're back here on Aspect Radio. We just heard a friend of the show, Craig Hamilton, out of Nashville, Tennessee, with his picks for the year. You can find Craig's top ten and other good posts on his blog at citizencraig.blogspot.com. We're back now with Matt Scalici and Graham Flanagan on phone to give you our top five films of 2010. So to start us off, Matt, what is your number five? and decide what is great art. 
you all come into this is, he put this house here and your tin breakers up for his bond. He what now? Jessup signed over everything. Now, if he doesn't show a trial, see, the way the deal works is, you all gonna lose his place. You got some place to go? I'll find him. Girl, I've been looking. I said I'll find him. Yeah. Kind of the, 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 
Snyder's Cut really is a great movie that is pretty layered and deserves multiple viewings, I would say. So good pick for sure. Matt, let's do this. You're number one. My number one is the social network. And just to, you know, we both said everything there is to say about it, but just to testify why I have it number one is I feel like it, as soon as I saw it, I feel like the quality of the screenplay for that movie and the sort of technical perfection David Fincher pulls off, it was the best one-two combination in terms of writing and directing uh, of any movie this year. The performances are um, really, you can't complain about any of them. They're all pretty demanding and interesting, and, and, uh, they, and all the actors did a great job. And I think it's just the most complete film. It's just the, it's just the movie that has that has the most to offer from all kind of the different angles you want to look at a movie from. Um, but I think it's sort of screenplay above everything else. That is the real strength of that movie. It's just so much better written than 99.9% of the movies we see being made today. I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. I think this is the best thing that he's written, and I think the screenplay is what pulls it up to the top for me. Well, Graham, you're number one film of the year. just 
comes down to that. It's very simple, and it's so affecting in a way that I haven't seen in a while where we have the story about young people who are doing this to each other, and yes, billions of dollars are at stake here, but the value of friendship is so much greater, I think, to this movie than any sort of dollar amount, and so The Social Network, again, another one that I'll probably watch later today. And so, Corey, that comes to you, your number one film of the year. Save little fuckers on the radio. Oh, God. <laughs> now, my number one film for the second year in a row is a Johnny going film, True Grit. Can we depart this afternoon? We? You are not going. That is no part of it. Well, you have misjudged me if you think I'm silly enough to give you $50 and watch you simply ride off. I'm a bonded U.S. Marshal. That weighs but little with me. I will see the thing done. I've been the duck. Can't go after Ned Pepper and ban the hard men look after a baby at the same time. I am not a baby. Won't be stopping at boarding houses where there's warm beds and hot grub on the table. I'll be traveling fast, eating light. But the sleeping is going to take place on the ground. Well, I have slept out at night before. Papa took me a little Frank Coon hunting last summer on the Petty Jean. We were in the woods all night. We sat around a big fire and yarn all told ghost stories. We had a good time. Cool, honey. This ain't no coon hunt. A magnificent adventure story that somehow ends up being with a piece in their filmography, of their filmography but just unlike anything they've ever done uh, with some iconic performances, as we said, by Haley Steinfeld, but also Jeff Bridges, who ably steps into the shoes of John Wayne as Rooster Cockburn. It features the best cinematography of the year from the great Roger Deakins, who, if there's any justice, universe, which we've proven time and time again there isn't. He will win his Academy Award this year, but I'm not holding my breath because of how unlucky he seems to be in these matters. I don't know, you know, it, they're so reliable, the Coens, for me. I know that Matt had previously said something completely different, but, but they're so reliable, and this movie's just so well done with such a moving ending. God, you know, it's just so much fun. What I, what I ultimately came down to is, is, you know, it was pretty close between this and Winter's Bone for me. But True Grit is just an old-fashioned adventure story that's ultimately just so much more fun to watch. And I know that I'll watch it over and over again, like I do with, I don't know, the, Cohen, the rest of the Coen Brothers filmography. It's just, it's just a terrific movie. It almost makes up for the lady killers, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll agree with that. Shutter Island, the Greek film Dogtooth, which just made the, the cat 
thinking right now as you say that. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Toy Story 3 has, for the reasons previously mentioned, kids are all right, which is just a terrific little, little character comedy. How to Train Your Dragon, which is just one of the most fun animated movies in years. Then a Korean film, Mother. I, I, I think that Ben Stark, wherever he is, will get this pump when he hears that because I know he shares my, my love for that movie. A Prophet, for the reasons you said. Uh, please get up by Nicole Hollop Center. It's, it's her best movie and a great character comedy. Catfish, and then the great documentary Inside Job about the 2008 financial crisis. Terrific movies all. How about you, Matt, and Graham? Any quick honorable mentions?
clip that you put up there, if, if it's the one I think it is, is an alt-timer, so people definitely need to check that out. Check the comment section. Check the comment Okay, well, and also, yeah, with the Hall of Fame thing, we are, we've already undergone our first round of snobby Hall of Fame voting snubs, so you'll see who didn't make the first round, and it's just, it's very much like baseball Hall of Fame voting. I already feel sick. Many thanks to WVUA Station Manager, Claire Brucker, Program Director, Chris Dotson, especially Chris Dotson today. We do appreciate his help. Yeah, roll tight, Chris. And production director Cliff Kyle and our friend Brandon Andrews for their support and contributions to the show. Graham and Matt, thank you again for spending two hours or more actually out of your Saturday morning. Apologies to wives and girlfriends. We owe them one, I guess you could say. So, uh, you, know, uh, you think you heard some snoring a minute ago? Yeah. No, 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 Todd, Todd, you guys okay? Oh, somebody's got to be in there. Oh, no. Oh. Call 911.